basically, if you heard this last week, Austin talked about the first part of what was going on. Jogimer hears kind of what happened. So the people of Israel, they just built this big wall. They put the finishing touches on it. Things were great. Uh, and now they're celebrating. They're all excited that they're done. They're, they're there. They're worshiping God's word. Kind of similar to how we do around here. We're, they're, uh, they're in God's word. They're excited. And they're really joyful. Everyone together. Uh, but as time goes on, their mood starts to shift. See, the more that they read God's word and the more that they hear these stories about ancestors, they realize, wow, our ancestors turned away from God a lot, like over and over and over again, despite the fact that God was constantly faithful to them. And that idea is what we're focusing on today because it's something that the Israelites dealt with then, now, and it's what we deal with today. Our big idea is this, God is faithful when we are not. See, the Israelites are going to point out this repetitive cycle that we experience as human beings. No matter how many times we turn away from the goodness of God through our actions, he is compassionate and will always be there for us. Right? He's shown it in the way that he's treated the Israelites in the past, and now we only see the compassion of God through the person of Jesus in our lives. So let's get into our passage. Let's see this story unfold here. We're starting in Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 22. We've got it up on the screen. You gave them kingdoms and names. Remember, this is the Israelites way back then talking to God, praying, and they're confessing right now. You gave them kingdoms and nations, allotting to them even the remotest frontiers. You took over the country of Sihon, king of Heshbon, and the country of Og, king of Bashan. You made their children as numerous as stars in the sky, and you brought them into the land that you told their parents to enter and possess. And they go on a little bit more, but they, they end this little statement of praise with this. They reveled in your great goodness. So this story starts off with God loving his people by providing for them. God gave his people the law to show them a little bit of who he was, to show them how to live. And he also gave them a bunch of cool physical possessions like land and food uh, and things like that, rulers, ways to, ways to do things. But even with all that he gave them, the Israelites just kind of said, you know what, we don't want that, not for us, all right, we're good. Look at verse 26. But they were disobedient, and they rebelled against you. They turned their backs on your law. They killed your prophets, who had warned them in order to turn back to you. They committed awful blasphemies. So you delivered them into the hands of their enemies, who oppressed them. So the people of God, or, so, pardon me, people of, of God see and experience life with God, and they decide, you know what, it's not worth it. I'm not feeling it. I want to do my own thing. So turn against his ways of living. They turn against his law. That's what it's talking about here. And they kill the people who are trying to lead them back to God and do the right thing. Imagine, imagine if you've got a brand new car, right? So imagine you go to the dealership. You're in there. You're going to get, get a new car. And the guy at the dealer is like, hey, this car is awesome, okay? It's got everything you could ever need. You just got to know a few things. One, you got to put oil in it. You got to routinely do oil changes, Two, you've got to respect the laws of the road. You know, you've got to drive safe. If you want this car to be in good shape, you've got to do the speed limit, all that. Um, you also have to bring it in for tune-ups. And that all sounds annoying and a lot, and we all just kind of want to have our own thing. Uh, and so you get that car, and you're like, what? I don't really care about what that guy said. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to put baby oil in it. I am just going to put water in the gas. Like, I want to do what I want. I want this car to be everything I want it to be. And I just don't really care about what I'm supposed to do. And I think we all see a problem with that uh, when we live our lives in the way that is not designed to be lived. We're going to experience some pain, and odds are that car is going to blow up on the side of the road. Uh, probably not great. And 
in that, when we think we know more than God, oh yeah, there it is, there's the car. Um, when we think we know more than God, we're going to experience some pain. And we're going to possibly end up hurting other people in the process. And this is what those Israelites experienced. God allowed them to see the consequences of their actions and their sins. So after a while, the Israelites realize, shoot, our car blew up. Uh, we need some help, God. And they call back to him. They call back out one relationship with him. And the verse for that. But when they were oppressed, they cried out to you. From heaven you heard them. And in your great compassion, you gave them deliverers who rescued them from the hand of their enemies. So this is awesome, right? God sees them, he hears them, and is like, you know what? I'm going to take you back. I want a relationship with you. We're all restored. Everything's back to normal. Everything's good. It would be awesome if we could just leave our passage here, and it would be over. But here's the thing. Uh, look at verse 28, literally the verse right after this one. As soon as they were at rest, they again did what was evil in your sight. Then you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies so that they ruled over them. And when they cried out to you again, you heard from heaven, and in your compassion, you delivered them time after time. And this cycle actually happens six times in our passage. Over and over again, we see this cycle. I've got a slide for it. God is good. The Israelites rebel. God says, okay, you know what? You get what you want. The Israelites say, sorry, God. And then God is faithful and delivers them. It happens over and over and over again. And so what do we learn from this? Why does the author write this this way? Why are the Israelites confessing in this way? What are we supposed to learn? The author is trying to get us to see something. One, about us, and two, about God. So let's start with us. Point number one is this. We have a tendency to rebel against God. We have a tendency to do our own thing, to go astray, and do, to do what we want. See, the cycle that the Israelites experience is the same thing that we experience in our own lives. We learn from this story that despite the goodness of God and the way that he provides for us, loves us, we choose not to follow him a lot. Our desires to do what we want to do define what's good for us. When we, can, when we choose to define what's good for ourselves and not go by what God desires, our desires to do what we want can overtake what God wants for us. In fact, it is our nature to rebel against God. So how, how many of you guys have dogs here? Quick show of hands. Wow, awesome. Love to say that. How many of you guys got puppies? Any puppies? Oh, Dennis. Yeah, Dennis has a ton. So, Denna. <laughs> Denna, when you have a dog and it is not potty trained and you let it into the house, what happens? It pees everywhere, right? It has no self-control. So what happens? You let the dog die. Okay, that's your consequence. You're going to be out there. The dog's squishing at the door. The dog wants to come back in. And so Denna, being the loving person she is, gets the dog back in. Now, Denna, that dog is still not potty trained. What's going to happen? It's going to pee. It's going to pee again, guys. It, the dog is going to pee again because that's what a dog does. It is a dog's nature to do what it wants to do. It wasn't taught that. No one had to teach the dog to pee. It's an innate part of what a dog is. In the same way, we are going to go astray. We are going to rebel against God. It's just given, right? No matter what we do to try and better ourselves, it's just, it's going to happen. We are going to rebel against God. And when we decide what's good and bad in our lives, there's a good chance we'll actually end up hurting ourselves and hurting other people in the process. And we do that all the time. That's what sin is. It is an act of pride where we put ourselves above God. And you know what? This happens even if you want to follow God. Like even if you want to know Jesus better, even if you're the perfect Christian church kid, even if you are in the word all the time and doing all these things, you can, I mean, 
Think about these Israelites. Okay, these Israelites memorized entire books of the Bible, like 200 chapters, which is crazy. That's so much. And they still made the wrong decision. Ton. I mean, think about this. Uh, a lot of times, even though we know the right answers, that doesn't always translate to actually doing the right thing in the moment. Um, I played soccer growing up. It was a huge part of uh, my childhood and just kind of my maturity. And had a lot of coaches, learned a lot of different things you could do in soccer. And in the moment, when you have a ball coming to you, whether it's on the ground or in the air, you know what to do, right? You're going to chest it. You're going to get it down to your feet. You're going to distribute it to the right or left. That's what you know is supposed to happen. And that would be great if that did happen. But here's the thing. When you're in the game, uh, you've got to make very quick decisions. There's weather. There's other guys that are influencing you. And you could you have a ball coming, and boom, it just bounces off. Now you're playing basketball, and you're going for the hoop. It's just gone. And so you can know the right thing to do, but it doesn't always translate in the moment. We can react, and those reactions don't always equate to something that honors God. And Paul refers this Paul refers to this as the weakness of the flesh, right? The flesh being our bodies, that's us. And he writes about this in his letter to the Romans because he dealt with the same thing too. In chapter, chapter uh, 7, verse 18, it says this, For I know that good itself is well in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now if I do... What I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it. It is sin living in me that does it. Okay, super complicated. A lot of, okay, Paul, yeah, what are you doing, bro? Just make it easy for us. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, this is sin. Sin makes me do bad things. I don't like it. Spark notes. So Paul points out something very important, though, is that we are enslaved by sin. It is something that we can't get away from. Right? And even this passage, uh, the Israelites describe it as we're in distress. Like, we don't know what to do. We need help. We need God. Um, and here's the thing, man. When you are enslaved by something, and okay, let's think about this. When someone doesn't do what you want them to do, and they're constantly turning away from you, they're talking behind your back, they're not loving, they're not kind to you, they're breaking your heart over and over and over again, you probably not want to be around that person. Like, you're probably going to distance yourself from a person and say, you know what, you're not worth my time. Uh, I think that is a pretty logical thing to do. In the same way, uh, I'm here at Alderwood. Austin's my boss. And if Austin says, okay, Adam, I need you to do our camp games. Um, and we get to July 19th, the day before camp, and Austin's like, hey, can good? And I say, nope, didn't do them at all. Didn't do a single thing. Austin has the right to be very mad at me because I didn't do what I should have done. I totally rejected him and said, you know what, it's not for me, I don't care, and that hurts Austin. So I think what, I, what I'm trying to say is this, when we think about our relationships with people here on earth, it's a lot of times based on conditional love. I will accept somebody if they are useful to me, people will accept me if I'm useful to them. It is based on what we can do for one another. But what this passage is saying is something very different about our relationship with God. Because God embodies unconditional love. Here's what that means. God cannot love you any more or any less than he does right now. God remains faithful to you despite 
what you do. When, he, when we are faithless, he is faithful. And point two is this. God is compassionate and gives grace. We learned about us in context with this passage. This is what the author is saying about God. The difference between us and God is that unconditional love. God genuinely desires a relationship with you because he loves you. There's a reason why I'm saying God loves you a lot. There's a reason why I'm repeating that. It's because it's a big, big deal. And he knows you can't, he, he knows that you can't follow him perfectly, but he loves you anyway. And so we're like the Israelites in a lot of ways. Whether you want to follow Jesus or not, all of us have gone astray. We've all rejected God. And you know what? God being the owner and the creator of the universe has every right to just say, man, that's it. You guys, you guys don't care about me. You guys reject me all the time. You're not worth my time. We're not, we are not useful to God in the same way that we view each other in those relationships. But here's the thing. Every single time the Israelites call out to him, no matter what they've done, God responds with open arms. And he forgives them. He gives compassion. And I remember when I was in high school, um, and I got my first and only car accident. Um, it was kind of my fault. I was in a car packed full of guys. We were going down to the beach. Had a bunch of beach stuff in my car. Had like an inflatable paddleboard, and like I could barely see out of the back window. And we missed the parking lot. I was going to flip to get back to it. Ford Explorer comes and hits uh, my left fender. And I felt terrible. I was terrified. And I remember calling my dad. He picked me up, brought me home. And that wasn't even my car. That was the car that my dad bought for me. And I just remember being like, man, I'm a failure. Like, I don't deserve grace right now. Like, this was totally my fault. And my dad just looked at me and gave me a big hug. And that is the way that I think about God in this story. Whenever I look at God, whenever I think about the grace of God and fatherly love, that is the, the image I get. You know, we don't get what we deserve as followers of Jesus and as people who are following God. He invites us back into a relationship with him despite our sin. And, you know, that's not to say that God doesn't care about what we do. He does care about our sin. Sin breaks God's heart. It hurts us. It separates us from God. It hurts other people. But when we confess our sin and we acknowledge that we are broken people and we put our trust in Jesus, God no longer holds those sins against us. Well, we might experience pain and brokenness because of the instant consequences of our sin. We don't for the eternal consequences. And here's what I mean, right? When I hurt somebody, when I lie to Austin, when I don't do what he asks me to do, when I fail on the camp games, that has consequences here. I've broken trust with Austin, and now we both have to live with that. And that really sucks. Uh, and it's what the Israelites experienced. That's what these guys were saying when the oppressors came. That is the, the instant consequence of sin. And that's why it's a big deal. But because of Jesus, we're no longer separated from God because of our sin. And this pick grace that we see in this story of God constantly desiring his people actually points to something very, very important in our lives today. Because God's ultimate la- act of love and compassion comes in the person of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. See, God loved you enough to humble himself by becoming a human being, and he took the penalty for our sin by dying on a cross, and that sacrifice wipes slate clean when it comes to our sins. There's no longer any And so what do we do? What do we do with this story? How do we, how do we respond to something as amazing as this? Um, I think the first place to start is to do exactly what the Israelites do here and confess our sins and understand that we haven't followed God perfectly. Uh, we don't deserve his grace. And 
we need God a lot every single day. And this is something that uh, if you've never really kind of thought of before, um, it's kind of a big deal. And it's something to, to start thinking about. But it is something that you will probably need to remind yourself of constantly throughout your entire life, your entire walk with Jesus, that you need God a lot, that I need God a lot. And as we close, I'm going to invite the worship team back up. Um, there's a few questions for your small groups to be thinking about, and they're on the screen. Uh, they will be there. there. Um, the one I really want you to focus on is, man, how am I going to respond to this? You know, now that I've heard this message, now that God has been how do I want to react? How, do, how am I responding to God in this moment? And so I'm going to pray. Worship team, come back up. Spar our heads. God, thank you again for the time. Man, we do not deserve what you've given us, Lord. You've given us community. You've given us connection with other people. God, you've given us joy uh, and a peace that transcends all understanding. God, thank you so much for just the gift that you are in our lives for showing us how to live, um, showing us how to bear root, God, and to, to look correctly in this world that you have created, God. And you are way bigger than understanding. You are so much greater than anything we could ever fathom, God. So help us pursue you more and more every day. Help us love you more. Help us love other people more. And help us respond to this message. God, help us understand your word. And yeah, we love you and we need you a lot. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.